Good morning. Today's Pentecost Sunday. I'm wearing my red shirt. I know it must be. I only wear this once a year. Today's the day. I'll wear it next June if you want. If you are going to start a religious movement, I don't, I don't think I would pick as my primary spokesman a person who had had a recent and, and adamant denial. Peter the Rock, he was more like Peter the wishy-washy. Peter the, the, the turn your back and run. Peter the coward. Peter the guy with no backbone. And it wasn't just some, some, some uh, Roman centurion who could you know, swipe off his head with his sword at a moment's notice. No, it was to a slave girl. She couldn't do anything to anybody. No one would believe her even if, he, even if she said that, it was, uh, that, that Peter was, was a follower of Jesus. Would you pick him to be your primary spokesman? The lesson I learned as a kid, shame me once, shame on you. Shame me twice, shame on me. He's already failed Jesus. Why would Peter? There had to be somebody better. Thomas, maybe Thomas. Uh, I doubt that I would choose Thomas. I don't know. Matthew, Matthew, maybe Matt. No, he was a tax collector. You can't trust those guys. Simon, the other Simon, Simon the zealot. Uh, zealots were more like terrorists. No, 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 you can't have that as a... James and John, the brothers, James and John, sons of thunder. Ooh, never know what they would say. No, 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 no. Simon was the choice. Even though he had that recent failure, the former fisherman, no formal training, uh, except being with Jesus for three years. I guess that qualifies as formal training. It was Peter who was charged with being the primary spokesman. I think if I would have chose Peter, even though you have a list of lousy choices, if you would have chose Peter, maybe you would have made him a little more prepared to preach his first sermon. It doesn't seem like he's very, very prepared for this event. Now, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't like me. You know, my first sermon was in 1983. I preached it about 400 times before I actually preached it. I preached it to the, you know, to the heir, to the nobody, to the church mice, to whomever. Finally, 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 I preached it in the, in, behind the pulpit. He didn't have opportunity to do that. Still, his delivery was all wrong. If people think you're drunk, if people think you've been popping the top of a few brewskis before you preach, then that, that tells you. Maybe he was slurring his speech. Maybe he was going too slow. Maybe he was going too fast. I don't know what he was doing. But that's what the Bible says. They have had too much wine. If people think that about your preaching, then you probably need to improve it a little bit. I remember one time I, I had kidney stones and I was on some pretty heavy-duty painkillers, but I knew I shouldn't preach that Sunday, but I still went to church. That was a mistake. And I was greeting folks like I do, like I do here. I was doing it there, and I was greeting folks, and, and our business manager's neighbors were in church that Sunday, first time ever, and I greeted them and, you know, went on my way. And, and later, my, my business manager talked to her neighbors and said, well, how'd you like the church? And they said, wow. Your pastor seemed a little odd. Was he on something? I was on something, but that was... I shouldn't have been there. I should have stayed home that Sunday. I didn't preach. Peter preached. People thought he was drunk. Uh, and, and a sermon is too short. Forrest Gump could have preached it in three minutes flat, you know, from start to finish. He need to stretch it out. There's not one good anecdote in the whole sermon. He doesn't tell one joke. Peter should have got up there and, and you know, kind of softened the crowd a little bit, told them some Old Testament jokes like, 
Who in the Old Testament had no parents? Joshua, the son of Nun. How do we know they played tennis in the Old Testament? Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Maybe not. Maybe Tyler was right about my jokes. Um, he didn't do any of those things. He doesn't have a three-point sermon. He has one point. You can't, how can you preach a sermon without three points? That's what they taught me in seminary. Three-point, three-point, three-point sermon. He has one point. And as, and as many times as I've read Acts chapter 2, the organist never plays just as I am. The band doesn't play David Crowder's come to the altar. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So if you're taking notes at home, Peter was a recent failure. He was acting drunk. His sermon is too short. There's no uh, uh, fancy illustrations, not a three-point outline, not a good joke in the whole, not a cheerjerker conclusion. Nobody plays just as I am. Come to the altar. Nothing. The results must have been terrible, right? You know the results. Acts tells us 3,000 people were converted that day. 3,000. It's fair to estimate that the, my conversions from my first sermon were not 3,000. I preached my very first sermon in Alanson, Michigan. Alanson is north of Petoskey. We drove by there this week. We drove, turned around in the parking lot of the church where I preached my very first sermon. There was not 3,000 converts. In the whole city of Alanson, Michigan, there's 785 people. What that means is if all 785 people showed up to church... Uh, which they didn't. <laughs> Not even the whole church showed up. You know, it was a Sunday night was when I was preaching. Carla showed up only because, you know, we were kind of liking each other at that point. And so, you know, she was there and a couple of other people were there, but that's about it. But even if the whole town showed up, all 785 of them, and even if we had like a, I preached a sermon like Jonah preached in Nineveh when the, 120, the whole city, 120,000 people turned to God, even if all 785 people would have turned to Jesus that night, then I still would have come up with 2,215 short, who's counting, from Peter's tally. 3,000 people in one sermon. All this to say, God knows what he's doing, when he's doing it. He did then, he does now. He took a ragtag group of 120 followers on the day of Pentecost and turned them into world beaters. Peter, a guy who a few short weeks earlier had been denying Jesus, was afraid to, 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 to uh, express his devotion to Jesus to a slave girl, is now standing before this crowd, this horde of people, proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ not, not only was crucified, but was resurrected and has, and has empowering them to, to, to change the world. What made the difference was the power of the Holy Spirit. Those 120 believers poured out into the streets proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and by the end of the day, there were 3,120 believers. And the movement hasn't looked back since. You see, what happened on Pentecost wasn't an impeccable sermon. It wasn't uh, the wonderful delivery. It wasn't a, a squeaky clean past. Peter didn't have any of those things. No, it, was, it wasn't some man-made creation. No, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was at work. And here's what you need to hear. That same spirit, the same spirit that was poured out on those 120 believers, the Holy Spirit that was in work in Jerusalem way back then, can be at work in Genesee County even today. That same spirit that, that, that came upon those 120 people can move upon our hearts and in our homes and in our church and in our cities. He can do it again. He did it then. He can do it again. That's my point on the sermon. Just like Peter only had one point, I guess I only have one point. The Holy Spirit did it before. He can do it again. 
Okay, let's step back a little bit. In John, the Gospel of John, John gives five chapters to the last evening that Jesus spent with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. The night we call Monday, Thursday, the night that Jesus is going to go to the garden and Judas is going to give him a kiss on the cheek. Before that, Jesus, John devotes five chapters of his, of his gospel to that evening. And in, that, in that, 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 those words, in those five chapters from 13 to 17, Jesus is, is preparing the disciples. He's been preparing them the whole way. But on this night, obviously, there's, there, there, there's much more at stake he knows, Jesus knows that the next 24 hours are going to be crazy. He understands that, 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 that he's trying to prepare them for what's going to take place to give them hope. The disciples are on edge. The town that was abuzz with Jesus coming in on the previous Sunday with shouts of Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord has now turned and it's getting ugly. And there were threats and rumors and conspiracy theories and the tension was palpable. The disciples are, are more than a little bit nervous. And so Jesus, who knows that in the next 24 hours, he's going to be beaten and crucified. That on the third day, he's going to raise from the dead and that, that eventually he's going to go back to the Father and the Holy Spirit is going to be given. He's trying to prepare the disciples for all of those eventualities. In many ways, this is Jesus' eulogy. The disciples don't know that, but that's what's going on. And so to these troubled weary, worried, anxious, nervous, afraid disciples. Jesus says these powerful words, words that I use at nearly every funeral that I ever preach, especially funerals for believers, because, because it's, it gives us such hope. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Boys, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, King James Version, many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. He's been with them for three years. He's been telling them the place where he's going. You know the way, boys. And Thomas speaks up for the whole group. I think they're all thinking it. Only Thomas says it. Lord, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. <laughs> right over there. Jesus has invested three years in these fellas. And now they're about to carry on the mission of God in, with, with him in a different manner. He's not going to be by their side anymore. It's, it's, it's going to be different. And so he says this, same chapter, chapter 14, a little bit down the road in verse 26. The Advocate, capital A, Greek word parakletos. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you, because boys, you've got a terrible memory about all the things I've taught you. But the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Here it comes again. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Boys, don't let your hearts be troubled. You're still being troubled. I'm telling you, don't be troubled. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. And the disciples are so much like us. You know, Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Guess what? They were troubled and afraid. They're still not getting it. And so Jesus circles back around in chapter 16. And he says the same thing. Same conversation, same night, same, you know, all of that. Chapter 16, a couple chapters later. I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where you're going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. And Jesus is saying, boys, I'm telling you, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't, be, don't worry. But verily I tell you, 
it is for your good. If you had a real Bible instead of on your phone, you might even underline for your good. It is for your good. They can't imagine it being for their good. It is for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate, capital A, Parakletos, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin? Because people don't believe in me. About righteousness? Because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment? Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's laying it all out. But again, right over the disciples' head. And even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, I'm still not sure that they got it, got it, got it. I don't know what they were expecting when this advocate, Parakletos, sometimes referred to as the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, comes. My guess is they weren't expecting what happens in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, the very last conversation that Jesus has before his ascension, you remember Jesus' words to them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised, as I told you before, John 14, John 16. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a clue as to what that meant. All they knew was Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for this gift. And so we get to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. 120 men, women, slaves, free, all gathered in this upper room. No idea that in a little while their whole worldview is going to be radically changed. The way they look at life is going to be radically changed. The way they treat one another is going to be radically changed. Their priorities, their hopes, their dreams, their courage, their gumption, if you will. It's all about to be changed. This is how Luke describes it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Luke is having a hard time describing this event, you see? It sounded sort of like a mighty wind, and it looked like sort of, kind of, tongues of fire resting on each person. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? Wow. That's, that's a powerful moment. Do you remember in the Old Testament the story of Tower of Babel? That's the story where people were trying to build a tower so high they could reach the heavens and they, they believed they could become like gods. It's a kind of a weird story, kind of, kind, of, kind of simple-minded. We think, oh, come on, you can't build a tower all the way to heaven. Everybody knows that. But that's, that, was, that was what was going on. And, 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 and those people in their arrogance, in their, in their uh, pride, if you will, were trying to build this tower so that they could become like gods. They thought the, the world revolved around them. Maybe it's not so foreign to us. I've known people who think the universe revolves around them. So do you remember what God does in that moment? In response to their pride and arrogance, God separated them with different languages. Prior, they had one language. They were working together. They thought they were invincible, but God separated them with many languages. Unable to communicate among the Babel, hence the name the Tower of Babel, they became strangers to one another. And so now, many centuries later, what happens at Pentecost 
is, 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 is that these multi-language, linguistic people in Jerusalem all come together. And they don't have one common language. God doesn't revert them to a common language. They still spoke different languages. But now the Holy Spirit in communicating to each of them in their own language is saying that language no longer has to separate people. But rather in Christ, there are no strangers. And that's a really important fact of what's happening on this Pentecost. That's why we have different readers on Pentecost Sunday read scripture together because it reminds us that Jesus, that in Jesus, he brings us together. Sin separates, Jesus unites. Sin causes division, Jesus mends those broken pieces. Sin builds walls, Jesus builds bridges. The Holy Spirit came and everything changed. And the question is, could God do something like that again? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. When was the last time any of us were so caught up in the power and the presence of God in that holy moment that we were wrongly accused about being high on something? When, when was the last time that we were so empowered by, by God in the holy presence that we didn't care if people thought we were, we were nuts or not? Now, please understand, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to be goofballs for Jesus or idiots for Jesus or demonstrate some kind of outlandish behavior to display the Spirit of God. If we could just stick to the fruit of the Spirit, I'd be great with that. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. But what I am saying is maybe, just maybe, we're so concerned about not offending or of looking out of step with our society or so timid in our witness to Jesus and his word that we accomplish very, very little for Jesus. Do you remember Paul's words? I love it in the message version in, in Romans chapter one, or Romans 12, verse one. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Maybe if we fixed our attention on God a little bit more, like the folks in the upper room and prayed and prayed and prayed. And maybe if we were, were, were just a little less well-adjusted to our, our culture, like the folks in the upper room and just prayed and prayed and prayed. And maybe if we worried just a little less about offending someone because of our love for Jesus and his word and just prayed and prayed and prayed like the folks in the upper room, maybe, just maybe, we would have similar results. I told you 3,000 people were, were, came to know Jesus that day. 3,000 people turning to Jesus. Many of them, 50 days earlier, were probably shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And now they're asking Jesus to be Lord of their life. See, after Pentecost, after the advocate, after the parakletos, after the counselor, after the comforter had come, after the Holy Spirit came, there were, life was different. Everything changed. The church was birthed. In fact, Luke goes on to say that not only were there 3,000 converts in that one day, but every day following, there were more and more and more and more and more converts every single day. That's what he says in verse 42. They, he tells us what, was, what are these 3,120 people doing? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were 
were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What was happening? Well, they devoted themselves to the prayer and the disciples' teachings. We, we, we would say that prayer and Bible study... They loved God and his word. They loved God's people. They were, they, were, they were sharing meals together. They were sharing communion together. They were hanging out together. If somebody was in need, they met that need. They, they were committed to each other. You know, they were committed. Imagine if that were us. You know, don't get your panties in a bunch and run off to the next church down the road. You're committed to one another. You know, then what happens is you get your pennies in a bunch down there and you run off then and you do it again and again and again. No, we're, they're committed to each other. Imagine if that were us. I know, I know, I know. I'm not trying to make them out to be perfect. Read the Corinthian letters. These people weren't perfect. They had some issues. But they were committed to each other. They loved God, loved each other. And, and, and did you hear what it said? Enjoyed the favor of all, God's pe- or of all people, not just God's people, all people. What does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means, but I think that means that they, they loved God and it showed. They loved each other and it showed. Their love was contagious. I think that's what that means. And people wanted what they had. And so because of that, their numbers were increasing every single day. It wasn't a great sermon that P- Peter preached. It wasn't a great song that James and John sang. I don't know if they sang or not. You know, I don't know. What made the difference was the Holy Spirit-infused love. Love God, love people. These folks were on fire for Jesus, literally. There were no strangers among them. They were family. They were together. They were committed to one another, and it showed. On the day of Pentecost, God came in a powerful way. Business as usual wasn't usual any longer. Women and slaves were no longer second-class citizens. Anyone, everyone who called on the name of the Lord could be saved. The sound of wind, the, the, the tongues of fire, the different languages. It was all about reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's how Peter concluded that very short sermon. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He's calling, see? (laughs) You know what was happening That was a church for the unchurched. Of course, everyone was unchurched then. It was a church that said, we're going to love God, love each other. That that there's no no mitigating circumstances to that. We're going to love God, love each other. No disqualifiers. We're going to just be, we're going to be a place where there's no strangers, a place where there's home for the hurting, a place that just cares about two things, love God, love each other. That'd be great. That'd be great. People said, what about, what? tell us about your church. And you just said, well, we sure love Jesus a lot and we sure love each other a lot. That's our church. That's what was going on here. Do you think, you think our results might be a little different? Uh, do you think their results would have been different? Imagine the, the Holy Spirit came, 120 poured out into the streets and, they, and, 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 and Peter's sermon would have gone something like, hey, all you people, 
50 days ago, you were saying how, 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 how you wanted Jesus to be crucified. He's really upset about that, and so he wants to have nothing to do with you. In fact, we've told him, you know, a little Sodom and Gomorrah action would be good for you guys, and, and, and so you just better run and hide. Would there have been 3,000 converts? No. Would there have been three? Probably not even that. Instead, they were, they were oozing the love of Jesus. They were seeking out, and so there were no strangers among them. Languages didn't matter. Male, female didn't matter. We talked about that the last several weeks. They, they didn't care that some of these same people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him just 50 days earlier. No, they were, they were concerned that God was at work. They didn't care about if they voted for Caesar or not. They didn't vote for Caesar back then, but you know what I mean. They loved God, loved people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily. So the question becomes, really, I guess, what about us? What will it take for us to see the same thing happen in Genesee County that happened in Jerusalem? Ah, oh, preacher, the Flint in the 21st century is very different from Jerusalem in the first century. I know, but you know what? The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit, first century, 21st century. And so if the Holy Spirit could do it then and make a difference then and turn those 120 believers into world changers then, why not now? I mean, if we just, if we just loved God and prayed and prayed and prayed and sought Him, why not now? Why not us? When I pastored the Richfield Church of the Nazarene, uh, I had some people come up to me. Some of you, some of you may remember these days. You were around. And I had somebody come up to me, a couple of people, and, and said, you know, we want to be that kind of church, like what I'm talking about today. We want to be a church that loves people, and there's no strangers, and if there's somebody in need, we want to help them out, and, and we want to be that kind of church. And so, let's do a single mom's day. Because single moms, if there's anybody in our culture that's, that's needy, it's single moms, and, you know, it's, the Bible tells us to care for widows and orphans. Well, single moms kind of, kind of fit in that, that category. They, they, they're, they're raising their kids on their own, and let's just, let's just do a day just for them. I said, man, that's a great idea. And so we, we, we planned this huge day. We got a bunch of volunteers, and we were going to do everything we could think of for single moms. We were going to feed them lunch, and we were going to give haircuts, and we were going to change the oil in their car, and we were going to you know, take care of their kids, and we were going to uh, give them uh, you know, counseling sessions or financial uh, counseling sessions, or, or we had a prayer tent. We had all these, all these things set up. It was going to be great, great, great. And we advertised it. Uh, we put out flyers, and we put it on the radio, and we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and single mom day came. And guess how many single moms showed up? One, one single mom, what a flop. It was, it was, you know, we had all these volunteers, we had everybody ready. One, that one lady, she was cared for. <laughs> so the same people, same volunteers. You know, we swang and a miss, but they were not uh, uh, worried about that. And so they came and said, hey, pastor, we got a better idea, we got a better idea. Let's do a biker Sunday. And we'll do the same thing like we were going to do for the single moms. We'll, have, we'll feed them lunch, and we'll, we'll, we'll have uh, all this stuff. We'll have a prayer tent when they can show up their bikes. And, let's do a biker Sunday. Let's do that. That'll, that'll be great. And so I said, yeah, let's do that. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and we got the tent, and we had the food and everything. And biker Sunday came, and it rained cats and dogs. It poured. Only about five or six motorcyclists showed up. 
And one of, the guys, one of the guys, I'll never forget, Ben was about six years old at the time, and one of the guys had a naked girl tattoo right on his arm. And Ben came up to me and said, Dad, 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 did you see that guy's tattoo? I said, yeah, I did see his dad. That's not very nice, is it, Dad? No, 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 that's not very nice. That's not nice. But we're glad that he's in church, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a flop, total flop. They said, Pastor, you know, bad weather can happen. Bad weather can happen. Let's do it. Let's do it next year. We'll do the same thing. We'll have the big food. We'll have the tent. We'll, have, we'll pray, 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 pray. Biker Sunday 2. Biker Sunday 2 came. Guess what? It rained worse than the first year. I mean, it poured, it poured, it poured. Only a handful of bikers showed up. I can't remember if tattoo guy showed up or not. I thought that was it. We, you know, we had, we had three swings we missed, every single one. Single mom, whoo, biker day one, whoo, biker day two, whoo. Those same volunteers. Some of you will know those names, like, like Marvin, Joy, Barber, and Bob Hartner. I said, Pastor, let's give it one more shot. Can't rain on us three years in a row. And so we did. We, we did, did the whole thing. Get the tents and have the food. And pray, 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 pray. Biker day three came. September. Beautiful. Beautiful Sunday. Bikers came. I think if my memory serves, we had about 400 bikers that showed up. 10% of them gave their heart to Jesus that day. A little over 40 people. I know that's not 3,000. But it was like Pentecost to me. Because God came. What happened? Why do I tell you that story on Pentecost? Because we need to be that kind of church. No strangers. We love God. We love each other. We pray, pray, pray. We say, God, you've got to work. You've got to move. We, we're, we're, not, we're not shunning when we, when we swing and miss. We just keep swinging because we know if we keep praying and we keep swinging, then pretty soon God's going to provide. That's what happens, you see. Don't you want to be that type of church? Don't you want to be that type of believer that says, God, I want, I want Pentecost to happen in me. I'm too, I'm, I've gone too long being dry and thirsty. If it means I've got to pray, 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 then that's what I'm going to do until, until your glory comes. If Pentecost is going to be real, it's got to be real in me. Before it can be real in the church, before it can be real in my city, it's got to be real in me. Listen, those 120 believers, they turned the world upside down. They didn't have the communication we have. They didn't have the the transportation we have. They didn't have the resources we have. And yet they turned the world upside down. I don't want to turn the world upside down. I just want to turn Genesee County upside down. Couldn't we do that? Couldn't we see God work in Genesee County like never before? What will it take? The Holy Spirit. That's all they had. That's all they had. All they had, just the Holy Spirit. If we had just the Holy Spirit, that's all we'll need. We're going to sing a song. If you want to pray, by all means, you can come down and pray. Join us tonight for the prayer service. Fill out a prayer request. Drop it in the box on your way out the door. We're going to pray over those. But why don't we sing as the Holy Spirit comes. If you want to pray, just seek the Lord even more. That'd be great. Let's sing.